So uh, did you make some New Year's resolutions? If you did, how how you doing on them? I mean, it's the fifth. Did you make it? This is why I don't make them uh, early, because I don't want to fail so quick. You know, I just, I wait until everyone else has passed on theirs and drop one in about mid-June. It's the way to do it. Well, maybe today I'll even give you a resolution that you can add to it. Uh, in January, uh, we like to do a series to start, uh, kind of talk about us around here, uh, what our vision is, or something about our, our strategy. And this uh, year is the same. We're going we're gonna to do one about our strategy at New Life. I don't know if you knew this, but we have a strategy here. The game plan of New Life is uh, three words, reach, train, and send. Reach people with the gospel train believers in the gospel, and send disciples for the gospel. That's what we do around here. Reach people, train, and send. And you may say, well, where do you get that from? And I want to share a passage with you that talks about this in Matthew. And I want to set the scene where we're at in Matthew here, uh, at the end of Matthew. And so Jesus has already walked on this earth, has been here with his disciples. He had already went to the cross taken all the sins upon him, died for us, buried for three days, has risen, and now he's appearing to his disciples, the 11 disciples that he had spent time with. It tells us he appears to more than 500 people, but at this point, he's just with those people, and each of the gospels share a little bit of what he said after he rose from the grave, but we don't have very much, but this is one very key piece that he tells the people he's been trained this whole time. That's what we're going we're gonna to peek into that scene right here. And that's found in Matthew 28. Let's look at that passage, Matthew 28, 18 to 20. And Jesus came and said to them, talking about the 11 disciples, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. I want to pause here just for a second. That's a, that's a big statement. I mean, this is, they know who Jesus is. He's been with them. They know what he just did. They know that he rose from the dead now, and he's declaring for them right now, all authority has been given to me, basically saying, listen up. What I'm about to say is important. This is what he says next. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Go make disciples. Go and teach them what I taught you. And guess what? They did. They went and taught other people who taught other people who taught other people who taught other people. And guess what? Some of us are disciples here. And it's because they passed that message along and they made more disciples. That message wasn't just for those 11 because they said go and then teach them to do the same things. That message is for us. If you're a disciple of Christ, if you're a follower of Christ, when he says that to the 11, he's saying that same message to you. Or as my first mentor said it, he said, Alan, love God and love people, and teach others to love God and love people, so they'll teach others to love God and love people. So they'll teach others to love God and love people. It keeps going, keeps going. So God wants to use you. There's not a way around this. He says, go, make disciples. 
So I, I think, well, how should we respond? And I, I want to look at a response that Peter and Andrew had earlier in Matthew when Jesus first calls them. He says to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And what was their response? I love it. It says, immediately they left their nets and followed him. Immediately. By his authority, go and make disciples. So part of me is like, let's go now. Let's just end service. Let's go. Let's go and make disciples. So at this church, we talk about reaching people, training them, and sending them. And if we want to make disciples, the first step really is we have to reach somebody, right? If they're going to learn how to be a follower, they have to understand and know who Jesus is first. And so over the years, talking with people about how to reach people, training other people how to reach people, a lot of questions have come up about how to do it and why I don't want to do it and, and insecurities or fears of why I don't share the gospel more. And this applies to me, and maybe some of these will apply to you, but I want to give you five of the common things I have heard and I have felt when it comes to sharing the gospel, going and making disciples, okay? So here's the first one. Let's see. First one, I feel unworthy. I feel unworthy. Like, who am I to do this? I've I got a lot of mess. I've got a lot of mess up in my life. Who am I to do this? I've got lots of problems. So I feel unworthy. What about this one? I'm afraid I'll mess it up. I'm afraid I'll mess it up. People told me that. I felt that. I'm afraid I'll mess it up. What about you? Like, this is, I'm supposed to talk to them about Jesus. What if I do it wrong? What if I turn them off to Jesus forever? I mean, I might just royally mess this thing up. Why would I want to take that chance? Or this third one, I'm afraid of what they will think. I'm afraid of what they'll think about me. I mean, I've got an image here, right? Got a pretty good one. And what if they think I'm weird if I talk about this? Or what if they laugh at me? Or what if they think differently about me? There's, there's just, what will they think? So I'm afraid to maybe even go and make disciples afraid to reach out to people. What about this one? I'm not spiritual enough. You ever felt that? I'm not spiritual enough. I mean, there's lots of spiritual people out there. They got different gifts that I don't have. I'm just not spiritual enough to do that, and that's somebody else. I got to clean up something, or I got to do something first. You felt that? Or this one, I don't know enough. I just don't know enough. What if they ask a question I can't answer? I don't know what I don't know, so I'm, I just, I'm kind of frozen in that spot because I just don't know enough. I'm looking at those five. If you had any of those feelings, maybe some of those feelings right now, who would say they've had those before? Talking to the right crowd, this is great. <laughs> I'm a little nervous there. But you notice the common theme on that whole list? I, yeah. I this, I that, I'm afraid, I'm not spiritual, I don't know enough, me, me, me. And guess what? It's not about you. It's about him. What does he say? It's so easy to 
put the focus on us and for some of us to really, if we want to resolve to reach people and to share his message, we need to hear the truth about ourselves as it relates to him, not as it relates to us. And so I want to walk through some of those today, and I will say this too. We're going to do a follow-up. We do an evangelism workshop here. It's sometimes easier to have discussion and work on this. And so we actually have one coming up this Tuesday. This Tuesday we'll explore this more at 7 o'clock if you want to come. Actually, in your first floor, that connection card, there's a box. You can check it just to let us know you're coming, or you can register online, or just show up. But as we're talking, as we're going through this, you're like, yeah, I want more of that. I want to get better at facing some of these so I can make disciples, I encourage you to come. Because if we're going to do his work, if we're going to do his mission, we need to know his truth. And I want to touch on five ways to help. They're helpful to me. Maybe they'll be helpful for you, especially if you raised your hand. So it's got to start with what we believe and what's in our mind, what's in our heart, what we, what we think about ourselves and how it relates to Jesus is so important. We have to spend time reading his word. And if we don't know his truth, it's hard to share his truth. If we're focused on the things that we believe that aren't true, it's going to make it really difficult. That's why I love this passage in Philippians 4. Philippians 4, 8 and 9 says this. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, Whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. When you've learned, received, and heard, and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. I mean, how many of us have some lie that we were just talking about, maybe one of the five, or some just version of the truth that's not quite there, just twirling about in our head or in our heart. He says, don't think about those things. Think about things that are excellent, worthy of praise. Dwell. Think on these things. Practice these things. Let his truth get in our heart. Let his truth replace those lies in our head. That's really the first step if we're going to reach people is to know and soak in the truth ourselves. Would you agree that you've got some things in your head that just aren't true? a song by Lauren Daigle that I love called You Say. I'm going to sing it for you. (laughs) Just kidding. You didn't pay enough to get in here for that today. (laughs) So I'm going to read you the lyrics instead. This is what it says. I keep fighting voices in my mind that say I'm not enough. Every single lie that tells me I will never measure up. Am I more than just the sum of every high and every low? Remind me once again just who I am because I need to know. You say I am loved when I can't feel a thing. You say I am strong when I think I am weak. You say I am held when I am falling short. When I don't belong, you say that I am yours. And I believe what you say of me. The only thing that matters now is everything you think of me. In you, I find my worth. In you, I find my identity. I need to focus on that truth. Psalm 139, 14 says, I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. 
Some of us need to hear that today, that we have purpose. Our life isn't just pointless or worthless. But God has a lot to say about who we are in him. And for me, I don't know about you, but for me, if you go in my office, you'll see lots of pictures on the wall, and it's got uh, an image and then a verse on it, because I just need that truth to hit me every time I walk in to fight what's going on in my mind, to fight what's going on in my heart, to believe the truth, what he says about me. That's really the first step. If you want to reach people, you've got to believe it for yourself. Or what about this? In 1 Corinthians, Paul is talking, and, and there's some question where people are making a big deal about who they follow. I follow Paul, or I follow Apollos. They are putting the focus on the man instead of God's work. And this is what Paul had to say, and I think it's helpful for us today. He says, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You're God's field, God's building. You know, we may plant the seed or we may water, but it has nothing to do with us. It's God who dictates all the growth. And then the amazing thing to me, look at that. Did you catch that what he said here? For we are God's fellow workers. We are partners with God. It's amazing. Why is he choosing to use me and you? But it's easy sometimes to get focused or get enamored on the result, our role in it. You know, will I mess it up or will I do good? How good I am or how good I'm not? We focus on the result or the payoff or what's going to happen. We're going to miss the point. We're supposed to focus that we're partnering with God and it's his work that he's doing. Not what I can accomplish. Not how they respond to me. I was sitting in uh, Panera earlier this week working on this and uh, I look over and there's a table. I don't know if you know, Panera has tables, but <laughs> there's a particular table across the room and I just was reminded of a conversation I had at that table. In this, uh, several years back, a friend of mine says, hey, will you share the gospel with my sister? And I had to think about that for about a half a second. Like, yes. She says, you know, to draw out that gospel, which we're going to talk about in just a minute, of what that looks like. And so I remember sitting at the table, and we had a great conversation. It was lovely. Talked about the truth. She soaked it in, was definitely thinking about it. And then we left. There's no result that I could see. That wasn't my focus. That shouldn't have been my focus. Uh, it's, it's up to God. I'm just going to plant the seed. I'm going to talk about it. And this gal moved away. Well, then I hear um, a while later, someone tells me that she had gotten baptized. Like, this is this, this gal? So I just text her just to see what's going on and check in with her. And this is what she says. Text back, I have grown so much in my faith this past year, and it all started with that first Bible study with you. If I would have been focused on that day, her response, or God's work, instead of just planting the seed, just why, I could have totally messed that up. Just, we plant, we water, we put it out there, and let God do what God does. 
We just get to partner with God, which is just crazy. Well, this passage, this is good, and it's got some good nuggets in it. First Peter 3. First Peter 3, verses 13 through 15, says this. Now, who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. So have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. So when I'm challenged, say, what will they think about me if I share my faith? I look at this and said, who's going to harm me? And even if I have some harm, like what is this, middle school? Like they look at me and they, my, you know, my identity wrapped in this, or they don't like my image, or they don't think the same way, but if, even if they are, even if they do think that, I'm blessed because of it. And then I think about the persecuted church, people live in other countries where they even talk about their faith, they're beaten, or maybe even put to death. And I'm just worried about sharing what people might think about me. Who is going to harm you so we can't be passive and just be, let's just be nice people and hope that maybe people will become disciples of Christ. Not just a passive, but it's a living that power of our life out and letting it out, sharing our faith so that it's heard, so it's seen. And even if I'm suffering because of it, I will be blessed. 2 Timothy 1 says, For God gave us a spirit not of fear or timidity, but of power of love and self-discipline or self-control. So we're to share. Supposed to put it out there. I'm not saying let's overcome people with power, like hit them in the face with this. That doesn't make any sense. I want to share my passion. I want to share my life just like I would share other things. Like when I talk about my kids. You want to hear a crazy story about my kids? I always have one because they're crazy. So I share it. That's my life. Or I talk about a product that I like, a cool product I found that's really cool, or, or football. I like talking about football, so I talk about football. And I love Jesus, so I talk about Jesus. Amen. So I just talk about the passions of my life, not in a way that's just hunting them down, trying to pursue them and make them understand, but a way just to share my faith so that they would know where I put my faith, where I put my hope. This isn't a sales pitch. This isn't like, let's convince people. And I don't have a product to sell. It's not cable. That's always a great knock at the door. And then he says this, verse 15. Did you catch this? Yet do it with gentleness and respect. Gentleness and respect. Listen, there is no room for nonsense or disrespect in this area. If we want to share our faith and we don't do it in a way that's respectful, we might just waste our words. I mean, I never want to trade my influence for somebody just to make a point. I never want to trade my influence just to make a point. But in gentleness and respectful, share what I believe, share my faith with other people. And it says, be prepared to make a defense for anyone who asks you for the reason 
for the hope that is in you. If no one asks you about the hope that you have, you aren't talking about it. If no one asks you about the hope that you have, if you don't have to give a defense for the hope that you have, you're not talking about the hope that you have. So let's talk about the hope that is in us because we must be prepared to talk about that. Listen, this isn't playtime. This is serious stuff, right? We know what the, the consequence for people that don't know who Jesus is and what he's done and don't accept his free gift. So I want to talk about I want to live my life in such a way so they say, why do you believe what you believe? And when they ask, I want to be ready. I want to be ready to answer. It says, be prepared to give a defense for the hope that is in you. So I want to tell you about two tools that I love to use that I recommend that is very helpful as I intersect with other people's lives, okay? So the first one is this. The first one is your story. Your story. Be prepared to share your stories. People are like, well, my story, I don't, I don't really have that good a one. Listen, you have a story. If you're in Christ, if you have become a disciple and you have been following him, you were once lost and now you're found. Right? You're blind, but now you see. You've hit rock bottom or you had some issue. You had a question that you couldn't answer. You had a challenging time in your life, whether it's before you became a Christian or after. You have a story. You have a theme in your life. You have things that have happened, and that is helpful for people when you talk to them to share your life. So know your story. Be ready to talk about your life. Better be vulnerable about the things that have been question marks for you or the challenges that you have faced. That's one of your greatest tools is your life, your story as relates to Christ. You with me? And if you haven't practiced talking about, talk about with someone that knows you and cares about you. It's a little weird. So can I just talk about my story with you? But I want to be prepared. So when asked, I said, yeah, man, I, I've been in that same spot, or I felt some of those same things. Can I tell you a little bit about my story? And I can relate to somebody because I'm ready to share my story. So be ready to share your story. That's one tool. Second tool, I love this tool. It's the bridge diagram. And it's a visual, and I'm going to show you just a little bit of it, give you a little teaser. We're going to go over this more if you come Tuesday night. But there, let me tell you the why of the bridge diagram first before we even talk about it. One, we draw it out. And so when I draw it out, it's interactive. I ask them questions, write their responses. So it's drawn out. And you know how it is when you talk to some people and you're talking about something that maybe even you're nervous about talking about and you're trying not to like get all in their face when you do it. And I don't, I don't know if you notice this, but I get a little intense at times. <laughs> so I like... I like drawing this out because guess what? It takes it so it deflects it a little bit. So we're talking about what we're working on together. It kind of takes it from this to like this. Make sense? So I love talking about this way. It just takes the conversation in a different place. I also love it because it's something written out that they can take with them. And I'll tell you, it's like 99% of the time, it's like, can I take this? Or they'll say, I'm taking this at the end. I'm like, I don't want it. I do it for you. But they all want it because there's truth on it. It starts to make sense to them. So I love the fact we draw something they can take. Sometimes it's all a little beverage napkin. It's all scribbly, and, but they want it because the message is valuable. So I love that we draw it out, but here's the two biggest reasons why I like it. 
When we draw out the bridge diagram, it first starts with God. It takes us out of the picture. So many times we're talking about how to relate to God. We're going from just from where we're at today, and we're limited by where we're standing in that moment. And this says, stop for a second. Let's go back to the creator God, where it all started before we even enter the picture. So it starts with the person, the deity it should start with, God. And then we enter the scene. So I like it for that reason. And at the end, they get to pick where they are at today. They get to picture themselves, their life today, where they are today. Interactive, like it comes face to face. Not just something I hear out there, but something I'm responding to. So that's all the reason why I like it. And since you're here, since I'm here, I thought maybe we could talk about it some. You guys up for that? First, let me tell you how I learned this, okay? We're not going to do it this way. So my first mentor took me, and my roommate, we're sitting in this room, we're, we're practicing on each other, and it's just weird, you know, when you practice something, you know, they know it, and you're like trying to pretend like role play, it's just weird, okay? But then after we did that, we're saying, okay, we're going to go out, this is Ohio State, out to Ohio State in the, in the uh, Union, and we're going to go talk to people and do a spiritual interest survey. And a spiritual interest survey was basically asked three questions. Something like, um, have you been to church? Yes or no? Hey, if you were to die today, how sure are you that you would go to heaven, percentage-wise? They'd give an answer. We'd ask another question like, um, if there was a way to know 100% that you could go to heaven when you die, would you want to know, yes or no? They might say yes, they might say no. If they say yes, we would say, well, that's the end of our survey. Thanks for taking it. Um, I actually have something I can draw for you. If you have a few minutes, I can show you a way that you could know what would happen after you die, if you, if you want to go through it. And I remember the first time I did this, first few times, really, go up, we take the little survey and say, if you could know 100%, would you want to know? And I'm sitting there going, I hope they say no. <laughs> and then they said yes, and then it's like, okay, um, hey, that's the end of our survey. Um, Hey, I got, if you got a few minutes, um, I can show you if you're interested, but you don't, you don't have to. Do you want to hear it? Please say no. They'd say yes. It's like, oh, I got to do this thing. And so nerve-wracking. And let me just tell you, we're not going to do that. We're not going to leave here. We're not all going to go to Easton and find somebody shopping, throw them to the pavement, and draw this out for them. It's not what we're going to do. It actually works best, I think, when you're talking to somebody that you know. Something that, somebody that knows you care about them. Because really that old adage is true. People don't care what you know unless they know that you care. So I, don't, I recommend it mostly when you get in a conversation with someone that you care about and you're talking about the messiness of life. You ever talk about the messiness of life with a friend? Like the brokenness? I mean, it's just, it's a mess. And in those times, I say, hey, I could tell you what God has to say about that mess, if you want to talk about it, has anyone ever drawn out for you the picture? The main story of the Bible is a picture. Has anyone ever drawn that for you? Because I, I find it helpful, and if, you're, if you want, I could draw that out for you today. That's usually how I share in the context of a relationship with somebody else who's having challenges that wants to know, yeah, can you help explain the mess of this world? It doesn't take long to find the mess if you're close with somebody. And so that's usually how I enter this with people. And so I'm going to show you 
just briefly how this works, and then we'll go from there, okay? So here's the progression I want you to remember. This is, this is what you need to remember to go through the progression, okay? God, people, dark, light. Starts with God. If you're a believer, you know it's all about God, right? God, then people, then dark, and then light. It goes dark before it goes to light, okay? So this is what we're going to do. So let me show you how I do this. As if we were talking uh, with somebody else, and this first slide here, I would write on, the, on this napkin or paper, whatever I can find, I write God on one side and draw a line underneath it. And it's interactive, and we would talk and say, hey, what do you know about God? And if they say something about God that's true, I'll put it on the sheet. And we'll write it down. Oh, yeah, God is everywhere. Yeah, you've heard that. Or God created us. Yep, we should write that down. Anything that can be uh, found in the Bible, I say, yep, he's everywhere. You've heard God is loving. Okay, yep, we'll write down God's loving. And we just make kind of a list, partially from what I know, partially what they know. We say, yeah, this is God. This kind of helps us to see who God is. I always put that God is holy. Have you heard that God's holy and perfect? The Bible says he's holy and perfect. Let's put that. That he's fair, that he's always going to do what he says he's going to do. He's just, he's fair. And we put kind of a list together. And I said, okay. Let's look at the other side of the paper. We draw a line, put people. Now, what do we know about people? And that conversation can go completely different depending on where the life is. If they just broke up with their boyfriend or girlfriend, their answers are really different. Like, people suck. Yes, put that down. People suck. <laughs> some people are terrible. What about, did you have a loving parent? Yep, some people are loving. Yes, there are good people. There's bad people. We do good and bad things. Yep, I get that. Are we perfect? No, we're not perfect. Especially I want to contrast against God. God's perfect. We're not. But some people are nice. Some people are fair. I mean, we hope judges are fair, run our courtrooms. But are we always fair? No, we're not always fair. And so we kind of make this list of there's God and there's us. And it's different. And God actually said he created us so that we can glorify and worship him but we didn't do that. We made it about ourselves. We're actually self-focused. If you're not sure you're self-focused, it's because, well, we're self-focused. We're self-focused. We made it about us. So because of that, because we're not perfect, and if there's any one thing that we've done, we're not perfect. We can't go back to perfect. We now have separation. So I'll draw this little loop, and I'll say we have a separation between us and God. He's perfect, and we're not. And the Bible says that's called sin. We've all sinned, and because we're not perfect, we can't go back with God because we can't even be in the very presence of God because of our imperfection. And so that sin earns us death or hell. This is where it starts to get quiet when you start talking about this. But listen, you have to talk about the dark. If you don't talk about the bad or what we need to be saved from, why do I need to be saved? What do I need to be rescued and in fact, I need to know that there is a condition that I have, that there's a reason that God sent his only son. Not to condemn the world. The world was already condemned. But in order that he could rescue and save us. So I need to understand that my condition now, I cannot go back and be with God because I am not perfect. And no amount of good deeds. I can do lots of good deeds, and some of us do good stuff. Help little old ladies across the street. That's nice. You should do that stuff. That's really good. We can have all the success in the world, but no matter whatever we do, we can't get from one side to the other because there's still that separation because we can never be perfect. 
So what are we to do? Then that's when I would draw Jesus. Jesus came from heaven and said, I will go. And he comes, lives the perfect life, becomes human. God becoming human to live the life that I could not live. And he did it perfectly. He kept true to his perfect reason for being of worshiping the Father. And so when he did all that and laid down his life, he said, I will trade my life, my perfect life, for anyone who's not perfect. I'll trade it. I've done it, and I will give that as a gift because I love, because God loves. I'll die on the cross for them to provide a way to bridge that gap, that separation that we have from God. Jesus said, I will do it, and he did it. He was buried for three days and rose again, proving he had the power to do it. And then God was pleased with his sacrifice. And it says it's a gift. Anyone who believes can have it, but it's a gift that's given. And what do we know about gifts? I can give a gift, but it's not yours until you take it. And we'll talk about a couple verses like Romans, where it says, uh, wages of sin and death, the free gift of God is eternal life. Uh, I'm, Romans 10, 9, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. That's our only response. We can't do anything. We can't add to it. And then this is the part I really like. We're talking about this some, and I know I'm going through this pretty quickly. But I'll say, looking at this diagram, looking at where there's people on one side and there's God on the other, and there's this bridge to get back to God, where would you put yourself in the story? Where would you say you are at? And then I wait. Let them think about it for a minute. And there's really one of three places. We're either on the God side, says, I'm on God's side. Yeah, I've done this. I've taken that gift. This is great. Yeah, I believe this, Alan. This is, this, is, this is great. I didn't think of it this way, but yeah, I've accepted that. I do believe Jesus is Lord, that it's only by his sacrifice I got nothing to offer, and I'm in the family of God. This is great. We're like, yes, that's awesome. Or they draw themselves on the little bridge. Got a little picture here. Draw themselves on the bridge. There it is, right there. That's my little stick figure. I like to draw wherever they put right on there. They say, yeah, I'm probably here, kind of working on it. That tells me something. It tells me they're open. Um, there's something maybe holding them back. Maybe it's they just haven't come face to face with it. Um, maybe they feel like they've got to get a little better first. Maybe they feel they've got to give something up, but they're open to it. I feel like they're in process. And you know, the reality of it is, you know, we've all seen one of those movies where there's that bridge going across, and then like the rope is fraying. And it's like, you don't stay on the bridge and just watch. Yeah. You go. You know that this, your time is short. That could give way any second, and you need to make a decision. You need to think about this. And you've got to head one direction or the other. And so this is, I'm glad that you're in process here, but you've got to keep moving. 
plant yourself with God. And there's lots of growth, there's lots of challenges, lots of questions that we as Christians have, lots of things that we have to learn and grow and do and all that stuff. But, but take the gift. But it's up to them to take the gift. You can't force someone to do it. So they might say, I'm right there. Or they say, I'm over here on this side. The third place is on the left on the people side. Let's show this next slide here. Draw a little stick figure. They usually add this little ball and chain. Because usually when they're there, they feel like they can't even make any movement from where they're at. And so I'll draw that little ball and chain and say, that right there, whatever that is, whatever that is that's holding on to you, whatever it is you think you can't let go of, that's probably the key to making any movement. And sometimes, folks, that's the messiest part of their life. That's the part that they don't want to talk about with anybody. And so I just offer. I'm happy to talk about that at any time. If it's messy, I'll care about you the same way. But whatever that is, it's saying, I, I don't even know if I can move, I can't even think about taking a step or going anywhere across that bridge. There's something clinging to them. And really, if you want to go reach, if you want to make disciples, help them to follow Jesus, you'd be willing to get in the messiest part of their life. And so, if you want to reach people, tell them that you're willing to do that. Show them that with your life. Show them that by being vulnerable with your own life, with your story, and your messes. Because all of us, at one point, was on that side and maybe you're able to shake that off and let it go and let God take care of it all and just say I'm going to take your gift but they're in that process so maybe that's you today maybe you're standing on that bridge saying I think I think maybe I'm on my way I'm not sure if you're not sure then you need to take the gift that Jesus is Lord that he has done what you cannot do for yourself. And if you're standing on this side, I don't know that I can make any movement at all. I feel like something grabbing me. You gotta be open about it. There's nothing too heavy for Jesus. Nothing too hard. You're not too far gone. This is for anybody. And he did it for everybody. But we have to take his gift. So this is when we get to have kind of our response. Think about for us. And we're all in different spots. Um, but it's clear what it says in 1 John 5. It says, this is the testimony. That God gave us eternal life. And this life is in his son. Whoever has the son has life. Whoever does not have the son does not have life. So do you want the son? Do you want to help other people to understand what that means? Are we ready to go and make disciples? I want to pray for you guys. Can I ask that you bow your heads and as we each kind of think about our response and where we're at today? And, and if you're hearing this message for the first time or you have not heard a lot or this is new to you and you're looking at that diagram and you know you want to cross over, I would just encourage you we pray here that I encourage you to say Jesus is Lord. Sit right there in your seat. Understand that you have nothing else to offer. And believe that, that God raised him from the dead 
And there's lots to learn. There's lots to get into. There's lots of hurts to, to deal with. There's lots of things to respond to, but we can take that gift. And so, Lord, I would ask you right now, if there's anyone here that would want to take their, that gift from you, that you freely offer, that you would help them to even just right now say, Jesus, you are Lord. That we would trust you with it, that we would be ready to learn more. Just like I said in that passage, make disciples and then teach them. There's a lot we have to learn after we encounter you. Would you help us to partner up with you and other people in this church to know the truth and know it more deeply? Lord, for believers that are here that would say, yes, I want to help people know this truth. Yes, I want to go and make disciples. Yes, I want to reach more people. Would you help us with some of those insecurities, some of those fears, some of those things that might hold us back that we don't believe that we're the ones that are supposed to do it, or we don't believe that uh, we would do it well, that we get too focused on ourselves instead of focused on you. Would you help us be expressive about our faith, gentle and loving, respectful ways so other people would say, why do you have that hope? Would you help us to do that, Lord? We need your help to live our faith out. Lord, would you help each one of us to whatever our next step is, to step into it, not let today pass, not let this moment pass, but instead say, yes, Jesus, I want to respond. Whether it's to your call to be saved, to trade in, or your call to reach out. We need you. Amen.